0: Welcome to the King's Cost dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thank you so much. Um, and I, I just want to send greetings from sunny Coleraine in Northern Ireland. Um, I at the beginning, complained that it was the coldest town that I'd ever lived in and that they misspelt the name of the town in Northern Ireland. They should have called it Cold Rain instead of Colrain. Rain. The, the wind, uh, the rain, sorry, comes in horizontally. Have you ever seen horizontal rain like this? And, you know, the last 14 years we've been outside Colrain Rain Town Hall and we have a ministry. I pioneer a ministry called Healing on the Streets and uh, For those of you who don't know what it looks like, uh, uh, we have a banner which is 5.3 meters high by a meter wide. It just says healing on it. You'd have to be blind not to see a banner like that. You can see it a mile away. And anyone who can't see it, we invite them to come and take a seat where we'll pray for their eyes to be healed. And we've stretched chairs out. We just basically gently invite people to come and take a seat. And what we're doing, we're creating stepping stones for people who are far away from God. And we gently lead them over time towards Jesus, and along the way they can get healed. And uh, so, you know, in the early days when I was out there on the streets, we we kind of—I would dress up appropriately. I had about five layers of clothing in clothing on, you know, waterproof jacket, waterproof trousers, loads of thermals. I'd have our hats, my neck would be covered. I'd have an umbrella, and I'd still get wet. And I was freezing cold, you know. And I was always complaining. Everywhere I went, and for the last 14 years I've been traveling around the world, I, I began to complain. And everywhere I went, I told them how cold the town was. I realized I was cursing my town. So, so now I have the greeting, you know, sunny Coleraine. It's amazing when you speak positively and bless your town, what God can do with it. So even the climate has changed, and and it's just amazing. The presence of God is so thick in our town that it's you know you you sense His presence walking into town, and miracles take place. You can be healed just walking through the place where we do healing on the streets every Saturday for the last fourteen years. For the first two years, uh, we're a little bit slow in Northern Ireland because we kneel to pray, and there's a lot of ice and snow at times, and and it can get very wet. And we knelt in the snow and the ice. Sometimes it was so cold, um, we knelt on a bare ground, our knees would freeze to the ground. Until somebody went to Norway and took pity on us and and brought a a whole load of pads that you can sit on ice and brought us these pads, you know. And when we knelt on them, we looked at each other and said, why didn't you think of this? It was like bliss, you know. But it's like we're washing the feet of our community, and it's just amazing how we are seeing the Lord working with us. And in these days, I've got to say, these, this, these days are the most encouraging days we're in right now. That the Lord is moving powerfully by his Holy Spirit. And, and if, you know, God would open your eyes to see what he's doing, you'd be amazed. Jesus invites us to live the life of another world. You know, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. See, out of the invisible, the visible was made in Hebrews, we're told. So, what is more, power, what is more powerful, the invisible, what we see? Because we're limited by our sensory perception. We have, God's given us this body to interface with this world. But heaven is so much more, the kingdom of God is so much more. If the Lord was to open your eyes now, you would see angels filling this, this, this space. You'd be amazed. And right now, the Lord is working with us, with his people. He's out on the streets at work amongst the people right now. And if we would join with him, you would be amazed at what you say. Right now, the Lord is at work. And anything that we do right now, you'll find favor on it because God is wanting to bless the work. You know, when, when Jesus died on the cross and on the third day was raised back to life, he appeared to his disciples and, um, and over 40 days spoke to them about the kingdom. And it was almost like, I'm not, I'm not leaving here until you get it. Because the disciples were slow to catch on to what Jesus was saying to them. Do you remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? Do you remember that in Mark, um, Mark chapter 11? He goes by a fig tree and he curses it and it withers at its roots. And the next day when Peter's going by, Peter says, look, teach you the fig tree that you've cursed is dead. He's going, he's scratching his head. How is that possible? He's trying to wrap his head around this one thing. And the Lord kind of what, I can imagine the interaction the Lord was having with the disciples. And I can imagine the Lord going, what, this, here, this thing that I did yesterday? Hey, that's nothing. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, 23, Jesus said this, have faith in God. It's a good place to start. And the Lord wants to encourage you in your faith today. He does. He's going to. He will do. If anyone, hands up if you're someone in this room. Okay, that's you. If anyone says to this mountain, I've always got to be sure and safe. Are there any mountains over here? No. Are you sure? Cambridge is flat. Okay, we're safe. Because you never know what might happen. And I wouldn't want anything to happen by accident. If anyone says to this mountain, jump into the sea, I'm not quite sure where the sea is, but no matter how far is, it doesn't matter, doesn't doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. You know what Jesus is saying, and has always said, he said, look, not only will you do what I've been doing, you'll do greater things. He said, the fig tree hey, that's nothing. Let me tell you something. You can speak to this mountain and command it to fly through the air into the sea. Now, I wish I had time to tell you about the, the mountain that flew in Egypt. I don't have time to tell you because there's so many other stories I want to tell you. But right now, what, what God is doing is that he is, he is moving on his people. And in different places around the world, I see the hand of God resting on, on people, I see the Lord calling His people to consecration to set themselves apart, even as Joshua said to the Israelites, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord is going to do amazing things amongst us. And I see the hand of God coming. I was in California, um, in fact, since the beginning of October, um, I have been home for just four days. So I, went to, I was in California, then I went to Hawaii, and then I had to uh, fly back home from Hawaii back to Los Angeles, which that in itself is, is a five-and-a-half-hour flight, and then fly home, t- arrived home in the evening to then fly to Athens in the very next morning, and then being there for a week, and then arriving home for one day, and then flying off to... Um, to the the other side of America on the West Coast, and then flying back to the East Coast, which is a huge flight in itself, and then um, flying home. And on Monday of last week, began a journey back home, which took 27 hours. Of journey. I arrived on a Tuesday, I left on a Monday, arrived on a Tuesday back home. And for the next day then to um, fly to Germany to minister there, then fly home again to come to a conference for this past weekend and to be here. And everywhere that the Lord has brought me has been through an invitation for the last 14 years. I haven't pushed the door to go anywhere. And everywhere the Lord has brought me, it's because... I know personally, without a shadow of doubt, the Lord is thinking about you. The very fact that I'm here, that I know personally, not because I'm here, but because when I'm following the Lord, I, I know that if the Lord has brought me here, he's thinking about you. He's thinking about this city. This is a city, isn't it? We are in England, aren't we? Thank okay. you. Good. I'm lost without my wife. She would tell me which time zone I'm in and which country I'm in. Um, But the Lord is thinking about you. And I I have the sense that the Lord is calling his people to consecration. That's what the Lord did with me last year. I don't have time to tell you that whole story. To consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart. If your hands are like this or like this, (laughs) He, can't, he, can't, um, he wants to release so much to you. And it's only when we open our hands and let go of what we're holding on to that we can receive. See, Jesus invites us to live the life of another world. In order to do that, we have to let go of one to grasp hold of another. And there's so much more that God wants to do. But as we do that, I'm seeing the hand of God resting on his people. People crying out to God, flatten their faces before the Lord. Coming in repentance. Making rights, wrongs. And their relationship with the Lord, nothing hindering their relationship with God. So they can receive everything that the Lord has for them. And then I see the Lord moving so powerfully. As um, last, last week on Monday, as I began to make the journey back home, I received an incredible message so while I was in California I had this request to to pray for a 16-year-old girl who was paralyzed in hospital now the story is tragic the, the parent, her parents the were a parents worst nightmare when they believed that their 16-year-old daughter was in bed asleep upstairs receive a phone call that their daughter has been in a serious car accident and is in a coma in hospital. And they they said, no, you must have the wrong person. You know, our daughter is in bed upstairs. And then, of course, when they looked, they saw that their daughter had actually climbed out of a bedroom window, had been running around with some friends, had run across the road and was knocked over by a car. And when I saw her, she had been in a coma for three weeks. And she came out of the coma and she was totally paralyzed. Um, The only thing she could move was her eyes. She had a tracheostomy, tubes in her throat. She was conscious, she was awake. She looked at me with terror in her eyes. Can you imagine not being able to move a muscle? That's how she was. And my heart went out to her. Parents requested that I would go and pray. She was terrified, this poor 16-year-old girl. My heart went out to her. And as she couldn't speak. I said, if you can understand what I'm saying, please blink twice. And she blinked twice. I explained why I was there, what I wanted to do, that I wanted to pray my best prayer for her, that Jesus would heal her. and said, if she would allow me to do that, please blink twice. She blinked twice. So I began to pray. I began to pray. And the presence of God began to fill that small room that she was in. And, and the presence of God thickened, and I sensed the presence of an angel standing right behind me on the left-hand side. And I could see the peace of God begin to rest on this, on this girl. And her, the look of panic and terror began to go from her eyes. And I could see God's peace rest on her. I took her by the hand, and I was praying, pressing in to the healing I know that Jesus dealt with, that had received for her two thousand years ago. I began to press in, and slowly I felt slight movement in my hand, in, in her hand, slight movement in her arm, slight movement in her leg. I said, "Thank you, Lord Jesus. Right now, the atoms and molecules and particles in her body are moving in obedience to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ." Nothing is impossible for God. And as I left that place, I said, God, you've done it. And and just as I was about to get on board my flight, I received a video message from the parents. And it started off with this 16-year-old girl sitting up in bed, thanking me for praying for her. She has full movement. She... She was obviously speaking with difficulty because of the tracheostomy and the thing is still around her neck. And her parents were just thanking me, thanking God, thanking God for the miracle. Nothing is impossible for God, I want to tell you. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and the Lord is saying, you know, consecrate yourself, set yourself apart. I'm going to work with you, and you know when uh, Jesus spent those forty days speaking to them about the kingdom. It's like I'm going to teach you. I want to teach you before I go. And he he said, "I'm I am like I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Then he says, "You are the light of the world." That means wherever you step into any dark place, you turn it into light. The darkest of places. Light will always expel darkness. It's not the other way around. Don't believe the lie of the devil. And he says, you salt. You stop the rot. You, you add flavor where there's no flavor. You go in and you spread yourself around. You affect everything around you and your yeast. Anyone ever, ever make fresh bread? Okay, you only need a little bit of yeast. But it has to go into the dough. And something amazing happens. The, the yeast spreads throughout the dough. And then out this small bit of dough comes this beautiful loaf of bread, which is banned in our house. <laughs> because Linda makes the most beautiful fresh bread. And, you know, she, it's, it's kind of baking in the morning. You smell it. and Your mouth is drooling. You go, I'll only have one slice. And this loaf of bread goes, and it's gone. <laughs> so she only makes it when we have guests. That's the rule in our house. But we affect everything around us and everything outside of us. And, you know, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 20, you know, it talks about the Lord, uh, went, he ascends into heaven. Can you imagine being one of the disciples there and watching Jesus? He appears to them and they're amazed. They can hardly believe that he's there. And he spends those 40 days with them, talking about the kingdom, teaching them. And then they watch him ascend into heaven on a cloud. Can you imagine that? Whoa. Where he sat at the right hand of the Father, where he sits right now, on a throne of power and authority. And the Bible says in Mark chapter, Mark chapter 16, verse 20, that the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word, confirmed his word with the signs Followed. So the gospel is not just about proclamation, it's demonstration. And the reason why why I teach a ministry called Healing on the Streets is because there is it's a way, it's a beautiful way of demonstrating God's love and power. Healing. If I was asked the question, how many of you in this room need healing, or you know someone right now that needs healing, put your hands up. Okay, that's just about everyone. And it's no different for members of the public. When you meet someone in the street, they either need healing themselves or they know someone right now who needs healing. And, and healing is a gospel in action. It's God's love in action. And it's a beautiful way of when you begin to communicate God's love in this way that people are more inclined to listen to what you have to say. So one of my favorite f- passages of Scripture is in Acts chapter 8, verse 4, where it says that Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. And when the people heard Philip, And saw the miraculous signs that he did. They all paid close attention to what he had to say. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many. Many cripples and paralytics were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Don't you want to see joy in the city here? All you have to do is step out and join in with what the Lord is doing. Because he will confirm the words that come out of your mouth. With signs and wonders. If you have faith in him. If you have the childlike faith, because Jesus speaks to us and talks us in a way that you need to have faith—the faith of a child—to believe what He's saying. Can you imagine Jesus speaking to disciples, and when He was talking about the fig tree, He says, "Have faith in God." The disciples going, then He says, "I tell you the truth." Can you imagine Jesus having to say to disciples, "I tell you the truth." It's almost like the Lord is, is thinking, I'm about to say something to you now. I know you're going to find hard to believe, but I really am telling you the truth. If anyone, that means you. And he wants us to have that child. Do you remember when you were so young that, you, that anything that your parents said to you, you believed without question? Do you remember that time? I asked some questions. What, what, what were some of the things that parents told you when you were so young that you believed? One woman said, "Yeah, th- my parents told me that chocolate milk comes from brown cows." <laughs> there is an age where you believe anything that your parents says to you uh, without question, and if anyone tried to put doubt in your mind, she you said, "No. Chocolate milk comes from brown cows. The moon is made of cheese." And you've got to have that faith, a trust in your heavenly father, whatever he says to you. So when he speaks to you, his word is truth. When your experience doesn't match up with this word, then then the word isn't faulty. It's your experience or your understanding of the experience. And you keep pressing in as children until we begin to understand. There's some things we don't understand. But his word is truth. So... Um, just, just some things that happened this year. Just a, a few things. So at the beginning of the year, I was in Jamaica. Anyone have been to Jamaica? Oh, I love Jamaica. It's great. So went to Jamaica, and um, we launched Healing on the Streets. So I'll, I'll tell you one or two stories. So we are there for a few weeks, and we um, were in Kingston, And there's a place called Pepin Square, which is in a park. Anyone ever heard of that place? Well, it has a a reputation of being um, a dangerous place to be in. Because there are drug dealers, gangs, and it's known for violence. But it's right next to a university. And students um, use the park. As a shortcut to get to university, and the local church leaders wanted, a, you know, a Christian presence in the park to keep the darkness at bay, to change the atmosphere, and they felt that healing the streets was the ideal thing to, to have. So we have the band in the chairs. So I did some training. We went out into Papine uh, Park, into the square. We went to set up the banner and the chairs. I saw dried blood from the night before. Whatever had happened there, it was just ugly. The sense of just what was happening in this place, was, it was a dark place. And what we do, every time we set up, we kneel on the ground before we begin to invite people to come to the chairs. And we kneel on the ground because we are trusting in God. We're relying on the Holy Spirit. We're saying, unless you come, Lord, nothing's going to happen. Our total reliance is on the Holy Spirit. He is our partner. He is the one who we're to work with and alongside. We can't do it without him. You know, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus to the heart and to the mind. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are. You, you could have won debates in university. You know, competition like you know, debating society. And you could have been the best debater. And you go and speak to someone about Jesus. And you could have complete clarity in the way you're sharing. But without the Holy Spirit, the person you're speaking to is like, huh? But yet another person who is stumbling over their words and thinking, I'm really making a hash of this. And the person is asking, so how do I... How do I invite Jesus into my life? (laughs) And you're going, what on earth did I say (laughs) that you've come to a place where you want to begin your journey with God? It's because the Holy Spirit takes the truth. Deep calls to deep and spirit calls to spirit. So we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. And I say to people who do this ministry, when you kneel on the ground, don't get off the ground unless his presence comes. I'm not twisting God's arm, but I'm saying, Lord, I'm relying on you. And unless your presence comes, I'm not moving off, off the ground. I'm either going to stay here or we're packing up and going home. Yeah. And we say, God, we need your help. Would do encourage us? Come, Lord, come, Holy Spirit. And his presence comes. It's like God has been, he's so excited. He can't wait for us to come and join with him. And his presence comes willingly and he fills the area, fills the space. And then people, and we got off the ground, and the, the whole square is filled with his presence. And people start coming to the chairs. And soon we saw people being healed, people getting delivered on the chairs. People opening their hearts up and receiving Jesus. And then a man comes and he's looking and he's looking at the chairs. And I approach him and says, hi, would you like some prayer? And he goes, uh, okay, yes, please. I, I think I do need some prayer. And as I'm walking with him over to the chair, he points, he says, see that yellow building across the road there? And he's pointing across the park, across the road to the other side. There's that yellow building. He says, yeah, that's my business. And he said, I, um, I was living in New York and uh, my father died. I had to come back home to Jamaica and to look after my grandmother who's, who's, who's not well. I said, I need some prayer. But before you pray for me, I need to share something with you and perhaps you could help me. And he began to tell me this amazing story. He said, I was um, living in New York in a third-story apartment when one night I went drinking with some friends to a bar. I got drunk. I couldn't drive my car back home, so I gave my car keys to my friend and I began to make my way back to my apartment. When I got to my apartment block, I realised that my door keys were attached to the car keys that I had given to my friend. But I kind of reasoned in my drunken state that if I somehow I could climb onto the roof I could, and, and climb down to, the, to my balcony, which was on the third floor, I, I could get in through, through some doors over there. He said, I can't remember falling off the roof. But the next moment I found myself on a staircase going up. I went, where am I? And I looked down as hard as I, can, as I could try to, to see the ground. I couldn't see the ground. All I could see was a staircase going up. So I began to climb the staircase and I came to a door. As I approached the door, the door opened up. And this brilliant white light shone through the door. And I was just about to enter in when this hand with a pointing finger came out that had a brilliant brilliant white light as, as bright as the sun came in through that white, that light that was coming out through there and poked me in the chest, stopping my entry. And I heard a voice saying, you're not ready. And the next instant, I found myself in pitch darkness, unable to move. I start to panic. Where am I? Where am I? And I find myself in a body bag, in a refrigeration unit, in a mortuary. I unzip the bag. I find there's a zip there. I unzip it. I kick open the bottom of the door. The door breaks through and the door falls to the ground. There's a clatter. I find a tag tied to my toe that tells me I've been dead for two days. And I'm awaiting an autopsy. The clatter of the door falling to the ground caused people in the other room to come running. They thought they'd seen a ghost. Because you you just cannot put a body in a body bag in these days and stick it in the refrigeration unit in the morgue, in a cubicle. He said, all the tests of the day, including the old one, which is a blood test, to see if there's any blood flowing, showed that I was dead. I'd been dead for two days. And he asked me, why am I alive? I said, I've got some good news for you. I began to share the gospel of the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And with joy, he received Jesus into his life. He, I introduced him to the local pastor whose church was kind of hidden away, but only a stone's throw away, connecting him with them. Just so incredible. And the whole week, it was like people were throwing themselves to, to, become, uh, uh, to become Christians. It was like low-hanging fruit everywhere I went. I went into a shop, into a supermarket to buy something. I saw a man stacking the shelves and I began and I just felt the prompting that little tug which you have to be obedient to when you feel the tug you, you understand I need the tug anyone ever felt the tug okay well if you haven't I'm going to pray you're going to feel the tug this week the tug be obedient to the tug and I began to speak to him and right there as he's stacking shelves I led him to Jesus I came out into the car park there was these two young guys Trying to start a business in shining headlights. You know, shining headlights. Well, we had a hire car, so we couldn't let them shine our, the hire car. And he, and he said, we want to start a business. We don't want to be in trouble. I said, hey, you're doing a great thing. Yeah, we gave them money. He said, we can't, we can't pay you for doing our headlights. But here, take that. I want to share something with you. Began to share the gospel with them. There in a car park led two of them to Jesus. Um, went to Trench Town where they're running gun battles or gangs across the road into a school, where there were soldiers in the school. And these boys had lived a very, it was a Christian school, lived very, very, you know, a very tough um, and challenging background. They're there. not really interested in anything. But the moment they saw the presence and power of God, they all wanted to receive Jesus. When they saw the reality of Jesus, the power of the Lord and what he could do, they all wanted to receive That was by the end of the week. And we were exhausted having, having done so many meetings since so many people coming to know Jesus. So many people healed. And they said, would you like a break? He said, yes, please. Would you like to go to the beach? Oh, absolutely. When you're in Jamaica, don't you want to go to the beach? So we had half a day. We went to the beach. And we were on a quiet end of the beach. And uh, they said, hey, do you want to go to the other end? You know, when we were growing up, um, this other end of the beach here was just like it was; it hasn't changed when we were children. Nothing's changed. Do you want to have a taste of what, like the old Jamaica was like? I said absolutely. So we start to walk, and you know, uh, my wife Linda and I, and some of the guys went. We went down there. They start hearing the reggae music, and these little huts, and they're selling all kinds of foods, and there's bars there. And there's one young guy, and he's got these. This train, he's walking around with drinks on it. And my wife's lived a pretty much a sheltered life. Thank you, Jesus. And she said to me, Why are they selling trill? You know, these like stalks of like bird food for budgerigars. I said, My love, that's not, (laughs) that's not bird food. It's kind of things that they smoke here, you know. Oh. We were offered some said, thank you very much, but no thanks. And we had a good look down there and it was lively. And, you know, and then we started to walk back to our end of the beach. And I'm behind this older man I'm wa- and he's walking like this. He's going... And I thought, I- is this a gangster swagger? I said, excuse me? He went, yeah. I said, uh, are, are you Okay. He went, nah. He says, I had a stroke. Uh, and, you know, and I, I find it difficult to walk. And uh, I thought, that's amazing. Do you know I thought at the time? I thought, it's amazing. Even when Jamaicans are not well, they do everything with rhythm. I mean, if I ever become sick in that way, I want to do that. If for some reason, Lord, please don't let that happen. But if for some reason I can't walk properly, I want to be able to do it with rhythm, you know. <laughs> but but they everything's with rhythm. it was amazing and I said hey well, I'm a Christian and I would love to pray for you could I pray for you I was just looking and I think and I wondered if you were okay and uh, I would love to pray for you he went come with me so I'm following him as he's walking getting the rhythm of it you know as he's walking and he owns a bar we're going to the bar, but the bar's full he doesn't sit somewhere in a corner a bench right in the middle of the bar and full of every, in front of everyone. He goes, <laughs> the next thing you know, it turns into a prayer meeting right there, a healing meeting. There's a Christian woman. She's bawling her eyes out. The fact that Christians would be in this bar praying for people in the bar. And there was a young girl there who didn't know Jesus. I led her to Jesus. Praise God. And left that place saying, God, you're so amazing. We're trying to have a rest. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no rest time, you know, when the Lord is moving. He's saying, I'm at work. Everywhere I go, I'm at work. You will find me at work. Just open your eyes and see. And we left there. We went to a quiet end of the beach. That was amazing. It's time to go. We're packed up. We're about to leave. There's three women, a mother and two daughters, looking so sad, so heavy-hearted. And the Spirit of God's communicating to me that these three women are in pain. They're looking out at sea, gazing out at sea. I said, hey, are you okay? They went, no. This is the anniversary of um, the death of our son. He went swimming there. And he never returned. His body didn't even turn up. And they suspected foul play because there was somebody who went swimming with him. But there was no closure for them. And they were going to be there every year. They would just come every year. And so you know, I began to look at them the compassion of Jesus began to, I began to feel the compassion of Jesus and I began to minister to them and I began to pray for them and says, you know, that, that uh, God is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles. I began to say he is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. spirit. I began to minister God's love and God's peace to them. And you can see the presence God resting in them. And I said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I shared the gospel and led all three to Jesus. And they left there connecting with local pastors. The heaviness was lifted off. It's just amazing what Jesus will do when you, when you partner with him. And we got in the car, we're leaving, we're saying, God, you're amazing. You are so amazing, Lord. We came to the first set of traffic lights. The lights turned red. We stopped. There was a lady selling mangoes. The mangoes in Jamaica are amazing. We bought all her mangoes. And for the time it took for the lights to turn from red to green, we had shared the gospel with her and led her to Jesus. And as the lights turned green and we were starting to pull away, she said, I've been waiting here for months for someone to tell me how to have a relationship with God. There are people who are dying to hear about the Jesus that you know. So amazing. And I went to, I went to Albania. And in Albania, we launched healing on the streets there. In Tirana, in the, in the capital, and it was just amazing. In a square, a residential area. I was just going to tell you this one story the residential area where families would come down into the square and there's seating all over the square, and the children would come and play. And we had our chairs laid out, and the banner was up, and people were coming to the chairs. We saw the most amazing healings. So many people encountering his presence. And the, and the, the public have never seen this before. These families were eyes staring. What is this? What is going on? What is this feeling here in this, in this square? So full of God's presence. Children on their bicycles going right in front of someone receiving prayer. And looking, going, what is this? And one of the um, girls from the local church I had been a Christian for three months. She was formerly a Muslim. And we were doing this in a square that was overlooked by a mosque, which is interesting. And she said, Mark, do I have a problem? She asked me this question. This girl is so hungry for God. I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't stop weeping in the presence of God. I said, there's <laughs> no problem. I said, you need to speak to my wife, Linda. She was called the weeping wife, my weeping wife. Because every time she got in the presence of God, she would weep. I'm sure people thought, he is like a really cruel husband. (laughs) Because every time I see his wife, she's weeping. I said, you speak to Linda. You know, God is sharing his heart with you. He loves you so much. Your life is so precious to him. She said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Could you please pray for me? I said, sure, when? Now. And in the chair... In public, in full view of everybody who's watching, we knelt down because we kneel to pray. And whenever we kneel to pray, it's like we're washing the feet of our community. And we began to pray and invite the presence of God, the dunamis, the promise of the Father to fill Gustiana. And the Holy Spirit began to rest in her and she began to be filled with the Holy Spirit, shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. A woman is walking by, minding her own business, suddenly she's arrested in the steps, stops and looks and watches. And the moment Gustiana gets off the chair, she comes and sits straight away in the chair. And this is what she told me. She said, I was walking by, and suddenly I was compelled to stop. I saw what was going on. And then this, her words, this intense energy came from here, where you were doing whatever you were doing, and it hit me said, what is that intense energy? He said, and I, and I looked at that woman, and I looked at her, and I said, whatever she has, and whatever she's receiving, I need. Tell me, what is that? <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I, said, I said, that intense energy has a name. He's the Holy Spirit of God. And Christiana was receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. Tell me, have you heard of Jesus? She went, no. And then I began to tell her. Within a minute, I began to share the gospel, simple gospel. And from that moment, she begins to weep and does not stop weeping. When she hears about the beauty, the love of God, she weeps and weeps and weeps as I share the gospel. And I said to her, would you like to open your life up to God and receive him? To follow Jesus. She nods like that. I said, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. She goes, okay. She could hardly speak. She couldn't speak. And with sobs, in between sobs, she received Jesus. I said, now, you know that intense energy? Now the Holy Spirit of God is going to fill you. You're going to pray. And as I began to pray, as she's sobbing, as light entered in, the darkness began to go. And she was getting delivered as she was getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It's so amazing what God is doing in these days. And I heard the story that, you know, it was in Birmingham, um, in England. And I, a, a couple of years ago, I was asked to speak at the 10th year celebration of Healing on the Streets. They, a few years ago, they'd been running for 10 years. And they'd launched 12 Healing on the Streets sites all over the city of Birmingham. And um, they said, Mark, would you come and speak at a celebration? We're just celebrating what God has done for 10 years. It's been amazing. I said, yes. So and on, the, and on the day that I spoke, they were launching their 13th site. It's incredible. They want to spread healing on streets all over that city. But the night before, we all met. We had a meal of all the leaders. And the leaders got together and said, Mark, we have a problem. I said, what's that? I said, there are so, he said, they said, there are so many Iranians coming to faith through healing on the streets. They all want to get involved with healing on the streets. I said, that's a great problem to have. I'll pray for you. That was it. I just left them with the problem. Let them solve themselves. And then I heard the news that these, this, um, one of the Healing Streets teams of Iranians on the team had been out on the streets and another Iranian man was walking by and they engaged in conversation, speaking to him in Farsi, which is their language, and discovered that he had a very painful back and invited him to take a seat. He sat in the chair. They knelt around his feet. Began to invite the presence of God, began to pr- t- telling him how much God loved him, prayed their best prayer, taking authority over the back pain, commanding it to go. And then when they finished praying, they waited. His eyes were closed. And they waited and they waited and for an unusually long length of time. They looked at each other they said, Well, okay, we can't do anything. Let's just wait here until he's finished receiving whatever God's doing. So they waited, they waited to look at a watch. And eventually, the man opened his eyes with a big grin on his face. And I asked him, how's your back? And he went, oh, my back. He said, my back is healed. But Jesus came, and he sat down with me, and he began to talk to me about my life. And I've given my life to him. Just so amazing that Jesus right now is at work. Everywhere we go, I'm seeing... God at work in an incredible way. Signs and ones of God are all around us, and and if you will step out, if you begin to share in in, you know wherever you do life, you're going to get the little tug. This is going to speak to that one. Go and talk to that one. I've got to tell you, I'm a I'm an introvert. I used to be a very shy introvert, and I thought God had made a mistake he made a mistake calling me to be an evangelist. But the Lord said, "No, you, you know, I gave you the options, and you chose to be an evangelist." He reminded me. He said, you're doing so many things, Mark. You can only do one thing, choose it, and I'll be right behind you. And stupidly, I said, Lord, I'll be an evangelist. (laughs) He says, there you go. I'm going to be with you. I thought either God has made a mistake or he knows better. And you know what? God is really smart. Because if he can work through an introvert, introvert like me, I know he can work through anyone. And what I have to do in order to go out, because everything inside of me screams out, don't go out there. I have to nail my introversion to the altar and say, today, Lord, I will not be an introvert. I will not be shy. I will be bold for you. I will summon up courage. Despite my fear and trepidation, I will go and do it. I said, I'll go and do that, Lord, and I will go and speak to him about you. I will not be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of anyone who believes. And when I do that, it's amazing. You know, when I fly on an aeroplane and we're going to pray in a minute, going over time, we're going to pray in a moment for anyone who needs healing. And a load more stories in the next service. My wife will tell you that I like a window seat on the plane. I fly so many times. I can't tell you how many times I've flown this year. And the reason why I like a window seat is because it's one less person to speak to. <laughs> then I have these special earplugs. And when I put them in, it's saying to the person next to me, please don't speak to me. But it doesn't matter if I'm sitting next to, next to a window and it doesn't matter if I have earplugs in. Even when I have earplugs in, I get that tug. That kind of says, now I want you to speak to that person over there. I want you to move. I want you to do that. And even though it's awkward, ever been in an awkward situation, you think, God, well, the time is not right. It doesn't seem to be like, you know, it's like, well, the awesome is in the awkward. Yeah. And it's like, this is really isn't convenient right now. Well, you've got to be ready when it's convenient and inconvenient in season and out of season. You have to be ready. And when you're obedient, you're going to see the signs and wonders of God. Trust me. Coming back from, coming back from a, a flight from Slovakia. And just cut a long story short, I was so tired. Have you ever been so tired that you could sleep standing up? No, I'm sure you haven't. All I could, all I could think about was getting a window seat on the plane and falling asleep. So I get on the plane. We're, we're kind of lost on the plane because something happened. And it was like, "Huh." I was feeling really grumpy because I was tired and grumpy. I'm sure none of you gets grumpy when you're tired. I was tired and I was feeling grumpy. The I, I first time I got on the plane, I looked. I glanced down that side of the plane, that side of the plane. All the window seats are taken. I look down here and I see a little way down the front. There's an aisle seat that's empty. There's a slim Spanish lady sitting in the, in the center seat. And her boyfriend has got the window seat. I thought, okay, if I sit next to her, it means I've got elbow room because she's so slim here. And I've got elbow room here. I sat down in the seat and I put the seat belt on. I'm not even going to listen to the safety demonstration, which I've heard a thousand times anyway. But I'm, I'm just going to go to sleep. I put my head down. I am the Jedi of power napping, I have to tell you. I am like 30 seconds away from being completely out. When this Spanish lady said, excuse me, if, if you want to get some rest, can I suggest that you go to the very back of the plane? Because I have uh, such a, a fear of flying that I make everybody nervous around me. And I promise you, you won't be able to, to rest or sleep. I thought, because of my grumpy state, there is no way I'm leaving this seat. If anything's going to go, it's this fear. So I turned and I smiled at her as best I could and I said, it's okay, my peace will balance out your fear. I thought, there's no way I'm moving. The plane started to take off and true to her word, she begins to panic. She says to her boyfriend, what's that noise? he begins to explain what the noise is. There's some funny engine noises. He's trying to explain. He's just making matters worse. She panics more. What's that noise? She thought the engine was about to fall off. He's explaining, no, this is the... Anyway, he realizes as she's getting more and more worked up that every time he tries to explain, he's making matters worse. So he decides to superglue his nose to the window and not say another word to totally ignore her. And for the rest of it, the- he just totally ignored her. Noses to the window, just that he doesn't know what to do. And she's starting to freak out. I thought, now nah, I've got to do something. So I looked behind me for the nearest team members for some support. I'm nearly done. And five rows back was Stephen, and he's fast asleep. I thought, typical. And all the rest of the team were way back oblivious of the drama that was happening near the front. I looked across the aisle, and there was a man reading a book. And I took a good look at him, and I thought, he looks like a Christian. So I, I thought, I wonder what book he's reading. So I started to lean across the aisle like this. Anybody behind me, I thought, what on earth is he doing? I'm doing this. I'm going, my eyesight's not that great. I went like this. I looked, and I could see he's reading a Christian book. I said, hey, excuse me. I said, you're, you're a believer? He went, yes. I said, it's fantastic. I said, um, listen, there's this lady beside me, and um, she has a phobia flying. I'm just about to drive it out. Could you just quietly pray while I do that? He looked at me with a look that was saying, are you sure, not, you know, we don't do this at 30,000 feet. It's like we should be doing it at the front of a, you know, building like this. Not at 30,000 feet. I said, just quietly. I thought, I don't want to make a scene. It could be really quiet. Just some prayer backing would be great. Thank you so much. I turned to this lady and so said, excuse me. Um, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus can help you and free you from this fear. Can I pray for you? She went, yes. Do you know how simple it is just to ask? Just ask. Ask. Can I pray for you? Um, she said, yes. I tapped the boyfriend whose nose was super glued to the window. I said, I tapped him, him, tapped him on the shoulder. Excuse me. Um, I hope you don't mind. Um, I just spoke to your girlfriend. I just, um, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus can help her, and I've just asked if I could pray for her. I hope you don't mind if I pray for her, because I didn't want him to think I was making a pass at his girlfriend. Yeah, he went anything, anything. He went anything, just whatever you need. to Anything. So I turned around in the aisle. In the aisle, I took hold of her wrist. And I quietly began to pray. I said, fear, I take authority over you now in Jesus' name. And I command you to leave this woman right now. Go. And fear came out with a shriek. You know, all those blood curdling shrieks. And in fact, everyone in the whole, the plane jumped around. I mean, the plane didn't jump. I'm in the front of the plane. They went, <laughs> the Stephen, five rows back, woke up with a start. <laughs> Two air stewardesses came up behind me. Is everything okay? What's going on? I just thought, distraction. I'm not even going to acknowledge that they're there. I thought, until this fear is gone, I had a wrist. I said, and I command, I gently command this thing to go. And, it, and then she went, it's gone, it's gone, my fear is gone. And then she's looking for a fear. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> fear. And she, she um, her boyfriend, I think, was petrified. <laughs> she looked at him and said, it's gone, the, the fear is gone. And she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to thank me. I mean, what do you say after that? What just happened? She gets a handbag. She rummages around in a handbag. She pulls out a biro pen. She went, that's for you. I took the biro pen. She said, thank you so much. I've always wanted one of these. <laughs> and I thought, you know, this pen represents your fear. And you've given it to Jesus. I said, whenever you're fearful, you know, you can speak with Jesus. It's called prayer. She says, hold on a moment. I know somebody can help you. And I went to the back of, this, back of the plane and got Maxine, who I know had been set free from fear. I said, Maxine, I said, am hey, sitting next to you, we just pray for her and just talked to her about Jesus, about being free. And she did. And then eventually, Maxine came back. I went and sat back down next to her. And I just talked to her about Jesus. I said, you can pray, you know. You can talk with Jesus. And that lady bowed her head and began to talk with Jesus. And for the rest of the flight, I didn't get to sleep. But I quietly lifted her up to Jesus.